0: We are in our last week of the Life and Godliness series. We started off looking at uh, Peter there saying that, um, you know, that in life, God's Word, uh, He His Holy Spirit has equipped us with everything that we need for life and godliness. What we need to, to live uh, between the sacred and the secular. And we're often real good at, li- at living, uh, you know, sacred lives but we don't know how to function in a secular environment or we're good at living secular lives but we don't really do well in a sacred environment but but what uh we've sought to do over these past couple weeks is to look at uh the things the, the ways that uh, we see in scripture our spiritual life influences our uh, secular life and the things that we do shouldn't be compartmentalized but the gospel should shape how we view um, view life, how we interact with life, and so we don 't have to be uh, only spiritual or sacred but and we don 't have to be only secular but but the way that scripture gives us and instructs us in uh, different matters we can live god glorifying lives um, in the the world. Jesus had that double incarnation, he was both fully man and fully God we seek to uh, mirror that with our approach, and so we looked at uh, you know time management we looked at decision making um, how we ought to to use those things for god 's glory. We looked at friendship um, we looked at using our words and and speech, and then lastly we 're going to wrap up um, this morning with uh, work. what does the Bible say? how we ought to interact with our work and, and what does the gospel, um, how does that fit in? And so, you know, we all kind of come to our view of work colored by a specific uh, lens, a specific background. And, and a lot of times, uh, the, the goal of work is you work so you can get money. And that's certainly a part of work. Um, you work so that way uh, you can provide for your future and uh, for your family. That's certainly a part of work as well, and that's a byproduct of work. But the Bible says that there's another way that we ought to look at work, and so we're going to look at it. Um, we're going to look at it in a couple different uh, points this morning. First, we're going to look at the nature of work, the purpose of work, and uh, the manner of work, which will kind of encompass under the manner of work, will kind of encompass the way that we work. What is it supposed to look like? And then lastly, we will look at rest. So, let's start off looking at what the Bible says about the nature of work. In Genesis chapter 1, it starts off in the very first work or the very first word, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible begins, it starts out with God working. It starts off with work. It's built upon God's work. And it says there, he He, he created the heavens and the earth, and it goes on to speak, uh, you know, day by day of all the things that God has created. He communicates to us that, that he has made something out of nothing. He, uh, you know, he's the only, uh, you know, the only person, the only uh, one to ever create p- purely from nothing, from from no matter. Now, at, when we work on something, when we work on a painting or when we work on building a house, we work from rearranging creation that already exists but god's work has you know he it began from nothing and so god starts uh from scratch he's the one who instituted work he started work he creates And then it goes on uh, to to speak of the different uh, passages there, you know, of the things that God has created. The the sun and the moon and the stars. We have the division between the land and and, uh, the uh, water. We have the division between, uh, you know, the land and the air. We have uh, the creation of, of animals, creepy crawling things, and, you know, beasts of all types. And we have the creation of man, And then, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, "...Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." So on the 7th day after after creating God rests. He uh, comes to the end of it. He it has been completed. It is finished. And now he because it is finished, because the work has been accomplished, God rests. There's no more work to accomplish. There's nothing else to do there. And so he rests and he calls that rest because the work is so complete because it is so finished because there's nothing more that he desires to do he calls that day holy and so we we find out uh, later in genesis chapter 2 that god gives a command to man he gives something that that uh, you may have heard of called the cultural mandate or a creation mandate and in, in what it says here in Genesis 2.15 is that God gives mankind a task. He gives him a job. It says there in Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. He's been given a task right away. Now, a, a lot of times when we think about work, we, ha- we have uh, this preconceived idea that work is a result of the fall rather than part of created order. You know, so we think we have to work because, you know, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, and so now we have to work. But what Genesis 2.15 tells us here is that God placed Adam in the garden to work it, to cultivate it, to keep it. And so the... This work here was part of uh, that mandate that God had given to Adam and Eve uh, earlier in Genesis chapter 1 to be fruitful and on the earth, to multiply and fill the earth, to subdue the earth. This was all kind of encompassed under that, keeping the garden, working it. Um, it says there, you can read in Genesis 128, that that kind of... Uh, command there. And so we we see here in Genesis 2 that we are created to be stewards. We're created to be stewards of God's creation through our work. And so work is not a curse, but it's a gift of God that's given to us before the fall. The fall doesn't happen until Genesis chapter 3. So work is part of who God made us to be. It's part of of God's intended uh, order for you and I. When God said, all that he has made was good, he, that was included work. But Adam and Eve's rebellion resulted in work becoming work. You know, there was a job for us to do, a task that we were to be a part of, but it didn't get difficult until Adam and Eve disobeyed God. This is what happens in Genesis 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 17, uh, The Lord is responding back to Adam. He says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. You are dust and to dust, you shall return. So God curses the ground as the result of Adam and Eve's rebellion. Work wasn't hard, it wasn't difficult until they disobeyed, until sin entered the world. Can you imagine what it would be like to work but it not feel like, you know, just to be effortless and be like, oh, this is great. You know, to, to, to accomplish a task but have no resistance at all to just be pure enjoyment. And so Adam and Eve... Uh, They sin, and because of their sin, work becomes difficult. Now, the presence of sin doesn't uh, negate the fact that God uh, created us with this desire and need to work, because we were created by God to be workers. That's what he says here in Genesis uh, 1, verse 26. He says, uh, when when creating man, he says, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, Of the heavens and over every every living thing that moves on the earth so verse twenty six and twenty seven there they tell us that uh, we are created in the image of God and then verse twenty eight gives us the sphere of uh in, in which we are to apply that our work we're, we're created in the image of God and so we we um in as we fill that command in verse twenty eight that that sphere of our work, we demonstrate God's image. It means that as we work, we display the image of God. And, and we're all made in the image of a creator. So as his people, as those made in the image of God, we are people who create. Now, we don't create from, from nothing, as God did, but we We create by organizing. That's what it speaks of when it talks about the spirit being upon uh, the face of the water. It's bringing order out of chaos. And so as we are made in the image of God, as we are creators with the little c, uh, as we are creators there, we image him when we make order out of chaos, And so that means that all work that we are a part of is important because in it, we we represent God there, making order out of chaos. In it, we represent uh, this uh, endeavor to organize and to structure. Think about all all the ways that that we participate in imaging God. Think about, you you know, uh, one of the things that um, I was reading a a couple uh, years back was this book called Meal with Jesus, and it talks about how important you know meal time is, and it talks about uh, you know how Jesus did most of his discipleship around the table, eating with people and spending time with people. And in it, it talks about you know prayers and, and thanking God. But think about your dinner for a second. It made this great point in the book and talking about uh, what it takes there when you when you pray and you thank God for what is on your table, the food that is before you. Think about uh, you know all of the people that God has given important jobs, and maybe their jobs don't seem important to them, but they are imaging the Creator. Whether they are Christians or not, they're imaging the Creator. He's using farmers. He's using those who are uh, irrigation specialists to line you know, these, these crops. He's using those people who are truck drivers and, and engineers to build highways to get the food to us. He is using uh, people who are grocery store clerks to distribute food to us as we go there. All of these people are imaging uh, God. They're demonstrating God's loving provision every step of the way. And maybe they only play a small part in that puzzle, but their work is good work and because it belongs to God. It's imaging him. Now, Similarly, if you think about the place that you live in, how many people had to be involved in that? You know, there's people had to go and and, uh, cut down trees. So we got loggers, then there's carpenters, and we have masons and architects and engineers, metal workers, construction teams, you know, people who are heavy machinery. Then you have to figure out how you're going to pay for it. So you have bankers, and all of these people come together in playing these small parts, imaging God in his provision, in his creation, taking taking something uh, that is unorganized, and creating a home, a provision, a, you know, a, a place of shelter. There's, people, there's ways that all of these people are playing a, an important part. And so when we recognize, when we uh, image God in our work, it helps us see that there's no position in your company, in your, uh, in your pursuit of a job that is too low. There's no, there's no position that's too low. There's no job that is too insignificant. Because every single person who is working and imaging God in their work is pointing back to him. They are these little creators. they're, they're pointing back to uh, the Savior. Or, uh, Martin Luther, he says uh, here a, a great quote, he says, "Your work is a very sacred matter. God delights in it, and though he wants to bestow his, and, and through it, he wants to bestow his blessings on you." This praise of work should be inscribed on all tools, on the foreheads and faces that sweat from toiling. He says they're all work. You know, God delights in it. He, he wants to bestow blessings on you through your work. And so in our work, in the, the nature of the work that we have, is built on imaging God. Now, secondly, the purpose of work. Because we, we work out of the nature of God in our work, our purpose in work is it's threefold. The purpose of work threefold. To glorify God. To further the kingdom of God. And to serve the common good. So all work is to be done for the glory of God first corinthians ten thirty one Paul tells us, so whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. that includes work. He's, Paul speaks a little bit more specifically in his letter to the Colossians in verse uh, chapter three verse twenty three Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ, so Paul tells us there that that the end result the, the person that we are looking uh, to serve and to give glory to is not just our supervisors or uh, our our bosses but Jesus. he is the one who is who we are ultimately serving so all work is to be done for the glory of God secondly. It's to be done for the advancement of his kingdom. In our work, we image God. We show his character. And so we are testifying to him. We're showing the watching world what it looks like to be a Christian worker. We're demonstrating the characteristics, uh, the attributes of God. And and in it, you know, we have even a small, uh, not a small job, but we have uh, another job that is... uh, That was given to us by Jesus in the Great Commission. He tells us there that we are to advance his kingdom through our work. Not just go on rest and have, you know, great holiday. But rather, we are to participate in the Great Commission. He told us that we should go and proclaim the gospel. We should make disciples and baptize them. We are a part of that Great Commission as his people. And so we have a job there as well. And then, thirdly, we are to, the purpose of our work is to serve the common good. We work as members of the kingdom of God, as agents of change in this world, and we work toward providing for our families, caring for the poor, showing mercy, upholding justice. When we are put in the position as Christians to work in social work, when we are to work in uh, in electrical engineering, so you can design traffic lights, so that way people can stay alive and are safe, you're working towards the common good. When you work as a farmer, you're providing food. When you work as a um, you know in HR, you're helping people get insurance and and be able to equip to do their job well. There's so many ways the things that we are doing for work, it contributes to this common good. And so there is a purpose behind our work. We should glorify God in our work. We should further the kingdom of God. And our work that we participate in should serve the common good. Now, the manner of work. Here's what how we, how we ought to work. The manner of work that we should pursue. Two things. Do what you've been gifted to do. Now, that sounds really like nebulous, probably, um, to some people because you're like, I don't know what I've been gifted to do. You know, some people it's it's quite obvious. Uh, but the way that you have been brought up, the family that you've been put into, the friends that you have, the the path that you have walked, the steps that God has ordered for you have have equipped you to do work uniquely from a perspective that nobody else has. They've given you direction to see things in a way that other people don't see. And, And so we see that that you don't have to stress out about you know doing what you've been gifted to do, but you have to spend time pressing into Christ, understanding what it is you've been gifted to do. In Ephesians 2.10, it tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God has gifted us as individuals uniquely and individually to go and accomplish something specific for his glory, a specific job. And it doesn't have to be, uh, th- that something specific doesn't have to meet the high calling of like what you think is legitimate, but what God has, has placed uh, before you. You've been gifted to do something, and God has pre- prepared those good works for you Beforehand he's like, I got him ready for you. You just have to step into him and move forward. So, what have you been gifted to do? Now, don't discount what you've been called to do. You want to understand what what you've been called to do. First, you want to understand that all work is God's work. It all belongs to him. C.S. Lewis says, uh, he, he says, a sacred calling is not limited to ecclesiastical functions, right? That's kind of how we often think about it. It's like, "Oh, calling, you know, what has God like really hyper spiritually called me to do? Like, how am I how am I seeing like this through a completely spiritual lens?" You know, "Oh, you know, and and it's kind of resulted uh, in, in some senses of people wanting to go fully into like, oh, I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to spend all this time there. If the Lord's not you know, uniquely and specifically calling you to that, that's not a higher form of work. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, the man who was weeding a field of turnips is also serving God. And I love how he makes that, he makes that distinction there for us, lest we get caught up in looking at some occupations, some vocations being more valuable than others. The calling doesn't have to necessarily be one that is justified in the the eyes of others, but rather something that uh, you want to serve God in. You you want to uh, give your life to. Now, what you when you're looking towards this, what, what the Lord has uh, you know doing, what you've been gifted to do, when you're trying to discover that, you don't want to do it by discovering what you want to do. (laughs) Seems backwards. Don't try to do what you want to do because you're going to end up clouding your own judgment and uh, you're going to make some areas of work more important than others. Look at what God has gifted you to do and then go to that type of work. Don't go to the attraction of the type of job that you want, but rather what God has equipped you to serve in. And there's no lame work. There's no, like, you know, this job is lesser in serving the Lord than some other type of job. Unless, you know, the job is something like a drug dealer that's obviously, like, lesser, you know. Things that are completely sinful and uh, are against God's word, those are, you know, not legitimate vocations that you should participate in. Um, so all forms of work are ways of serving others. It, it, um, there's a way that you can come alongside others. You can help others glorify God, even if they don't know it. So when you're trying to figure out what it is that that you're called to do, what are you gifted to do? You know, if you if you think through some of the some of the things, you know, think about not what the type of job that you want to have, but who you are as a person. If you are uh, if you are compassionate, if you are uh, good with with money, um, you know, if you're good with uh, customer interaction, I mean you can work in retail, you can help others steward over their money as a, you know working in retail by saying like, "You know what this one isn 't really a great value. Y- your money would be best uh, suited by you would steward over your money well by purchasing this item instead because this is going to last you longer or it 's better quality. Um, you can help others steward over their body in, in, you know in those retail interactions by by helping them and providing a quality product, helping them uh, with their nutrition, you can help them through friendly interaction and encouragement. If you're a people person, you can serve God in that way. You can do it in manufacturing by making quality products that, are, that make, good, uh, make you a good steward of creation rather than making a bunch of throwaway products that people end up buying. If uh, you work in customer service, you can make order out of chaos. Those are the people that everybody, you know, don't really like. But if you can help people untangle their lives and provide peace, you are imaging the creator through your interactions. I mean, there's obvious uh, comparisons in, you know, medical healing, uh, you know, helping people who are sick, uh, farming with food. There's a lot of ways that, that, uh, you know, depending upon your gifting what you're called to, Ways that you can uh, serve. Now, secondly, your work, your calling should help others. You, when you're considering what you might be gifted to do, you also want to consider what, what needs, it's not just about what you want to do, but how can you help people? You want to look at what's before you. How can you serve? Not just what job are you interested in, but how can you serve? What opportunities are out there? And then lastly, you want to get counsel. You want to talk to others when you're pursuing that, when you're, when you're choosing that. You want to get into community and discern the calling of God upon your life together. Now, the way that we work. What should our work look like? Two examples. It should look like our, our work should be ethical. The way that we work should honor God, and uh, it should be in line with his characteristics, his attributes. If you are a salaried employee and you arrive late to work, or you cut out early, if you make false promises about deadlines or ship dates, that's not honoring God. You're not partaking in ethical practices. Because God is faithful. He's true to his word. He does what he says he will do. And so, we want to honor God in our work ethically. And then, secondly, our work should be excellent. We can't produce subpar work or products. You can't give half effort. Our work ethic and our work product should be excellent. Now, you don't have to be like the number one in like your whole industry, but it should be clear that you're giving forth, you know, you're going above and beyond. There's not a half-hearted uh, effort. There's not a half-hearted product. It doesn't look like you've slapped together, uh, you know, what you're working on to meet your sales quota or to satisfy someone quickly, but it should go above and beyond. So, some, a couple quick examples of how we work. Run an honest business. its Just straightforward and simple. Run an honest business. Proverbs 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. If you are a buyer, a purchaser for your company, you know, Proverbs 20.14, bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. It's talking about, you know, you're like, can I get this like on a discount, you know, for our company? Because like, this looks really like faulty, and you're trying to convince them to give you a discount. Then you go away, and you're like, chumps. You're you're bearing false witness about the product. Proverbs 20.17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. So you, you could do that through running an honest business. You can become great at what you do. Excellence. Proverbs 22:29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. When we work as unto the Lord, when we work as if we are serving Christ, our work will become excellent. Because we're putting forth extra effort. We're not taking shortcuts. But that's often the case. We should avoid those things. Proverbs twenty or Proverbs fourteen. Uh Proverbs fourteen twenty-three. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So we want to work hard, not try to avoid ev- uh, you know, take shortcuts, not try to get it done as quickly as possible. Proverbs 28, 6, better is a poor man who walks in integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. We want to work hard and not be lazy. Proverbs gives us examples of that. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of, a dil- of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 19, verse 15, slothfulness slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Uh, the, The writer of Proverbs goes on, and he says, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. So, you know, all over Proverbs, we have these descriptions of working hard, and then lastly, we're told here in Proverbs 27:18, that we ought to honor and humbly serve our boss, our supervisor well. Proverbs 27:18, "Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored." He's saying if you put in the effort to protect your boss, put in effort to to love them and serve them and make sure that they are well-equipped to do their job well, if you're watching their back, that that they are going to recognize that, and and you're going to be honored. You're going to be able to partake of the fruit of that tree blossoming. You're going to be able to partake of of, uh, what comes from that. And so we see there's a lot that we should consider when we're thinking about work. You know, we have this nature of work we uh, where we're trying to image God in our work. We have this purpose of work where we, we want to glorify God. We want to advance His kingdom. We want to uh, serve the common good. Um, and, and, and then in there, we got to figure out, you know, what is God calling us to do? How can we work? Now, lastly, we recognize that we're in you know, the work that we do is hard. It's difficult. It, be- it has become burdensome. Working is work. It's hard work. And it's difficult. So now we got to go out and try to do it. But something happens when we go out and we work. We get tired, and so we need to rest. Without rest, we work and work and work. Now, When you're a worker, you're either a really lazy worker or you're a really hard worker. There's not like a lot of like in-between workers. You're like, I'm I'm just kind of do what I'm supposed to do. You either work too much or you work too little. You're either slacking off and procrastinating or you're just a workaholic. Those are kind of the two camps that usually we're in. I only do the bare minimum of what I have to do to get by or I'm just working like crazy. And most of us... uh, In today's society, we're working like crazy because there's all you know. It's hard to find a job these days. It's it's hard to find work, and there's always somebody who's working on theirs, who's trying to outwork you. And if you know the company can get somebody better for cheaper, they want to hire them. So so, the 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 likelihood of us wanting to rest is few and far between. It's like. It's just not really a possibility because someone else is going to come up and take our jobs if they want to stay late every night and they want to come in on weekends. It's like, oh, this person's a superstar. They want to put in all the hours. They want to do all the work. And so then all of a sudden we're like, okay, well, we got to do that too. So that way we keep, you know, uh, maintain faith with everybody and we're, we're coming in and doing the type of, uh, of effort and we're, we're putting that out there as well. But we're never going to be able to do the type of work that God has called us to do here unless we rest. Uh, unless we, we learn to rest. And so God created a Sabbath. In creation, we, we said there in Genesis 2, verse 1 through 3, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Why? Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It was complete. It was so thoroughly finished that he was, he was happy with it. And so in, he, he established this Sabbath in the law in Exodus 20, verse 8. And it's the fourth commandment that is given to, to Moses of the Ten Commandments. It says in Exodus 20, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son, uh, you or your son, or your daughter, your male servant or female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is with you, Within your gates, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So, God establishes a pattern of work and rest for us. You know, He establishes this rhythm of life. You work six days, you get one day off. You work six days, you get one day off. And you get it there for a specific reason to focus on worship. It's dedicated to spending time and and it's not just talking about, you know, quiet time all day, prayer all day, but you're recognizing God as your Lord and Creator. You're recognizing that He is your ultimate provider, that He is the one who's going to take care of you. So you you don't need to be a workaholic and work on that seventh day because God's going to take care of you. Now, this Sabbath is not just A rhythm of rest and work. Because we all know if you work too much, you know, you need to take a vacation. You need to take every, you need to have a weekend so that way you can be able to recharge and get ready to work hard the next week. But that's not just what the Sabbath is about. That's part of it. But there's something greater than, than uh, behind the Sabbath than just that. Because the world has that, right? There's no difference between uh, their rest and our rest—if they get the weekends off too, and they get, you know, they work six days and they get one day off, or even if they work a couple days and they get two days off—our work is intended, or our rest is intended to be uh, worship. There, a time for us to recognize God's sovereignty over our lives. The the world has that same type of rest. They're hard workers. They want to get to the top too. They want to be known, but. Everyone needs to kind of recharge after a while. And the culture that we live in, though, has, has, has a, a different view of work. The, the world's view of work is that who you are is defined by where you work or your job. Their identity is wrapped up in work. And we are tempted often to find our identity similarly in that same thing. Because what happens when, when you go to, like, Thanksgiving or Christmas... When you meet a new family friend, your questions kind of come up, right? What do you do for a living? Everyone wants to know. Let me judge you. You tell me what you do, so I can judge you and figure out how much I think that you're worth. How how much you know? How, how much time you're putting in? How uh, what that says about uh, how you're investing your money, the choices that you make. Let me hear about that, so that way I can judge you. Now. That not only dictates those relationships with with our relatives, um, it, it provides peer acceptance. When you have a job that other people approve of, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you're about on the same level as us, so you can hang out. Or, you know, you're seeking parental approval. You're like, i got to get a job to make my parents happy, and it has to be one that they approve of because they're investing all of this money, you know, in school, or they've, they've uh, supported me for so long to, to follow my dreams, and I need to, to get something that really makes them happy. And so a lot of times what happens is we build our identities upon work, but then when we do it this way, when we build our identity on work, if we become... Uh, if we do really well and we get a job that everybody approves of, then it becomes about our glory, and our self existence and our self centeredness. It becomes about like, look at all the effort that you put in, everything that you that you work towards. You accomplished your goal. You're awesome. But if you don't do it well, and your identity isn't work, then you're just crushed, and you just your self worth just goes. You know, uh, it just tanks because you haven't been able to produce something that others will accept. Your work has fallen short. Now, there's another place in the book of Deuteronomy where we're given this word about the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the, it's kind of the second place, or it's actually the third place, where the, the commandment of the Sabbath and the law is given. But in this one, it adds on one more additional verse here. It gives us one more additional uh caveat regarding the sabbath in Deuteronomy 5 verse 15 it says after it says that first portion that we've already read in Exodus 20 there about the lord made the sabbath and made it holy it goes on in Deuteronomy 5:15 it says you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of egypt and the lord your god brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm therefore the lord your god commanded you to keep The Sabbath day. So in Deuteronomy, we're starting to see a more full picture because what it says there, God God connects this rest, not just to resting from work, but resting from bondage. He says, I've brought you out of the land of Egypt. I've brought you out by myself. And so you ought to observe the Sabbath day. I've given you rest when you were in bondage. The rest is not just taking a day off to, to relax and to worship God, but it's a, a greater rest. In Mark 2, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees as they're walking through this field. You know, you guys know the story. We, we talked about this. And the disciples, they're grabbing some grain as they walk through and they're they're eating there. And it happens to be the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, you know, they pop up out of nowhere it's kind of like they're always lying in wait to yell at Jesus and, uh, uh, you know, convict him. And they're like, you guys are violating the Sabbath. And this is what Jesus says in, in, in Mark 2, uh, 27. He says to them, to the to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus says there, this rest that you guys are so busy trying to defend, it, it, it wasn't made how you think about it. Man wasn't made f- uh, for, for that rest or for, or for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made so that way man could rest. And then he doesn't say that, you know, we violated the Sabbath. Jesus says there, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's like, guys, I'm all about the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. And what he's saying there is, I am Lord of the rest. Because we know, you and I, we need true rest. That's, what, that's why the Sabbath is instituted. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And the Lord brought them out because they needed a greater rest. Not just this one day every seven days. But, but Egypt it has always represented sin, bondage. And they need a true rest. Hebrews uh, 3 and 4 goes on to liken it to Egypt. That that true rest that comes as a result of uh, of Israel's disobedience and failing to observe that rest, and God rescuing them. And it goes on in in, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So he says there's a true rest, a greater rest. And that and he likens it to creation when God created, there was work to be done, God did the work, right? He was the only one who could have accomplished it, and then it was finished. And then he said, I'm resting. There's no more for me to do. It has been fully accomplished. Similarly, God in the form of Jesus would say this once more upon the cross. He he, he says it in John 19, after he had received the sour wine, Jesus said the same thing, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus is that true rest that we need And if we're working to do these things for God, if we're trying to image God, we need to do it out of true rest in Jesus, in his work. We demonstrate our faith in Christ through our physical Sabbath. As we rest on the Sabbath and take our hands off of the plow for a moment and recognize that he is our Savior, we are... uh, recognizing that He has provided, He has done everything. Now, this is important because we, as Christian workers, we work out of our acceptance, not for approval. But if we don't have true rest in the Son of God, if we don't have that true Sabbath rest in, in that work that God came to accomplish that we could not accomplish ourselves, that was so complete and, and, and uh, finished, I love how Hebrews, Hebrews tells us there, you know, uh, whoever's entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You can't try to contribute anything. God has already done it. It's finished. And then he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. You know, let's do it. And so we want to work as Christian workers, not out of this task to accomplish these things that God says, you know, we ought to work this way because we're made in his image and find, and and we ought to work this way with these purposes to to do what God has done for acceptance. See, God I'm doing I'm doing what you said I had to do. But rather we're working from the place of already being accepted, being uh we're not working for approval, but we're working from from our acceptance. Now, lastly, uh as God has told us in Ephesians 5 that he has prepared those good works for us to walk in. Look at what he says just before that about his accomplishment accomplishment of these works. Ephesians 2 verse 8 For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. You've been saved by faith. You've been given that true rest. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, through faith. And so it's the result of his works because your works would not stand up. So you cannot find acceptance through your works. You cannot find approval from God through your works but you are already accepted. You you are already approved of because of what Christ has done. And so we work out of that. If you don't work out of that, you're going to get exhausted. If you don't work out of that, you're going to find your identity in Christ, or in in your own work, and, and not in Christ. And you're going to end up being crushed. But when you find true rest in Jesus... When your work fails, when your job fails, when you don't succeed how you thought you ought to succeed, you won't be crushed because Christ has completed the work. He has made a perfect and true rest for you and I. And so we want to serve the Lord. We want to work for his glory with the strength that he supplies until so let's pray, and ask that He would uh, direct us in that as we seek to get our minds wrapped around how we ought to love and serve as God honoring employees, God honoring workers, um, volunteers in uh, in our society. Let's pray, Lord. We're thankful for Your goodness and Your faithfulness to us, and that You've given us an example of hard work. Lord, you, uh, you gave Jesus a task and uh, he has done all that you have uh, asked him to do. Lord, he has done it so faithfully and completely that in him we can now find true rest. Lord, even when um, Lord, we could not accomplish Lord, uh, the weight of the law. But Jesus has fulfilled that law and we can find that true rest within him. And so we pray that you would um, empower us by your Holy Spirit to live for you, to be godly, ethical, excellent, uh, Jesus exalting employees, Jesus exalting business owners and workers. Lord, we want to serve you well and faithfully. We need your help. Lord, we want to work out of our acceptance because of what Christ has done, and not for your approval. We're thankful that Jesus is true and faithful and, um, and always making intercession for us before the Father. And so, Lord, we want to respond to you now and worship, just thanking you for, it, for that work that you have accomplished on our behalf. And so may you be glorified. We love you. Amen.